Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. very pleased about that. We, I want to, the, the title of our, of our series that we're starting is Better. The title is Better. And what, why that is significant is because we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament. How many of you know that the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus being better? Amen. The book of Hebrews is all about Jesus being better. So I want to encourage you to commit for the next few weeks to get into this scripture with us. And and here's what I want to ask you to commit to. Just treat it like you're going to school. Come ready to take some good notes, okay? Come ready to really jump into the meat of this because Hebrews, in my opinion, is the meatiest book in the whole Bible. It is. It's the meatiest book book in the whole Bible, in my opinion. Uh, Definitely in the New Testament, for sure. And they said, well, what about Romans? Well, Romans is really meaty, too, and it's really intense. But Hebrews is just every verse, every line of Hebrews is pregnant. You know what I'm saying when I say that? Every line is juicy. It's just, it's just packed full of goodness. And the writer of Hebrews makes so many statements that it's like you got to read it two and three and four times just to make sure you get it all because it's that deep and it's that profound. So as a preacher, it's actually an intimidating book to approach. Uh, I I have preached many, many times from different passages of Hebrews, but have never taken the time to go through the whole book line upon line. It's going to be absolutely awesome. And so I'm excited. We're going to go for probably eight weeks, maybe a little bit longer uh, of Sundays. This is going to take us through the whole summer. Now, if I was sharing this with Sean earlier today, uh, my original timeline for teaching this, if I wanted to teach it the way, or if I taught it the way I wanted to, the original timeline would take no less than 25 weeks. I mean, there's 13 chapters. Every single word in this, in this book is just loaded. And I'll tell you why it is. Because every phrase and every line in the book of Hebrews, unlike the other books of the Bible, has a backstory. The writer of Hebrews is, does what we call in theology presupposition. He presupposes that you know a bunch of stuff. He presupposes that the people reading it are Jews who grew up in a Jewish system and are really conditioned and understand the law of Moses, the history of Israel. They know exactly who Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, Caleb, Daniel, all these, they know all these people. It's a part of their history. It'd be like me saying to you, talking to you about George Washington. I presuppose that you know who he is because you're an American and you went to school here in this country. So I don't have to spend time telling you who George Washington was. Does that make sense? The writer of Hebrews does exactly the same thing. He presupposes a bunch of stuff. So when he makes a statement, that statement's connected to something huge in the Old Testament. When he talks about Abraham, he doesn't explain who Abraham is. So it's almost like you gotta go back to the Old Testament and discover this and then come back to Hebrews and go, oh, I see what you're saying. 
There's this presupposition that happens in this book that does not happen that way in the rest of the New Testament. Even in Romans, and Romans is a heady book, but, but this to me is just the juiciest book in all of scripture. It's so strong. So it's a little intimidating, but what we're gonna do, because it's so deep and because it's so intense, we're gonna have to cherry pick some of the topics out of here. As we go through, um, it's my hope that we learn to catch the heart of this epistle. What is the book of Hebrews about? It's about Jesus being better. Amen? When, when we get done with this, I believe you're gonna have such an enhanced view of who Jesus is. You're gonna be more in love with Jesus. You're gonna be absolutely head over heels, gaga for Jesus by the time we finish this book. Amen? It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. It's all about him. Now, before we get into this, let's just take a moment and bow our heads in prayer. I'd like to do that for just a second, and then we'll make our confession of faith. Father, we are so thankful. We are so thankful today for this opportunity that you have given us to study this marvelous book called Hebrews. Today, Lord, we ask you to give us wisdom and revelation and insight into what the writer of Hebrews and what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate to our hearts. Lord, we ask that every hindrance be dismantled from our thinking. We ask that every distraction be done away with in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for peace and for easy communication this morning as we teach this heavy subject, this meaty subject. Lord, may your spirit breathe upon everything that is said. Lord, I desire today that the words I speak be your words because your words are anointed. And Lord, I thank you that as we speak, confusion disappears. As we minister the word today, uh, deception has to leave. We thank you for that. We thank you that the entrance of your word gives light. And we call order, divine order, into our minds and into this place today as we receive in Jesus' name and let everybody shout amen. Amen. Let's make our confession of faith. You can put it up on the screen. Let's read it out loud together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Amen. Do you believe that? You believe you're growing? Amen. I'm going to ask that you, as we dive into Hebrews chapter 1, you can go ahead and turn there. As we dive into this, I'm going to ask that you expect with me, that you lean in with me, lean into what the Holy Spirit wants to say and do. As you do that, it's incredibly helpful for me when I'm preaching. And so I, uh, I say we're in this together. Let's get everything that we can, okay? Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to make some comments and get us started. Let's read verse 1. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made also the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better, everybody say better, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance 
obtained a more excellent name than they. Now this is the first four verses of this amazing book and they're so loaded that I could take three weeks on just these few, few verses. I'm telling you, you could preach for hours on the first three, four verses of this book. It's intense. Now, at, at, before we dive into you know, taking these first few verses apart, let's talk a little bit about the book of Hebrews, give you a little bit of context and some history, a little bit of backstory. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but I like, to, I like to say this all the time. The greater the context, the greater the level of understanding. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, but the greater the context that you have regarding something, the greater your understanding is going to be. When Sean and I were in Bible school, we used to hear this from the dean of our college all the time. He would say, if you want to know the verse that you're reading better, read the passage. And he'd say, if you want to know the verse even more, read the chapter. He said, if you still want to know more about the verse, read the whole letter or the whole book. And if you want to yet know more, read the author. If you want to understand what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, for example, uh, I'll give you an example. Ephesians 3, 9, 19 talks about being filled with all the fullness of God, right? What does Paul mean there? Well, if you read the whole passage, you'll understand better. If you read the whole book, you'll really start to get an understanding of what he means when he says the fullness of God. And then it'll get dialed up even farther if you read all the Pauline epistles, if you read the author. Because, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but he talks about the fullness of God again in, in Colossians chapter 2. He says, in him, in Jesus, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. So what he says, what he's teaching us, if you put those two scriptures together, Ephesians 3.19 and Colossians 2.9, you find out that he's talking about all the fullness of God resting in the person of Jesus. So if you want to know what the fullness of God looks like in your life, you got to look at Jesus. But see, you don't get that just by reading Ephesians 3.19. you got to read the author. See, context makes a big difference. Now, why do I say all that? Because let's talk about some context for the book of Hebrews, shall we? First of all, what is this book about? I don't know if you've, if you've spent any time reading through Hebrews, but it, it takes a lot. It takes concentration, and it takes some time. This is not, you know, you can go read Psalm 23 and just get blessed. You know, just, you can go just read a psalm and just go, oh, praise God, this is, what a blessing. You can read Ephesians and get, oh, I'm so stirred up. And then you read, a fee, or you read Hebrews and it's like climbing a mountain, right? It's like walking through, you know, something deep. And you go, wow, that, that actually took some work, <laughs> right? Well, what is this book all about? Why is it, why should we bother reading it? I mean, it takes a lot of work to understand it. Why should we bother? Well, it's the word of God and we should, right? But, but, but let's talk about what this is all about. This book is all about Jesus being better or more superior than Judaism. This book is all about Jesus being a more superior or better example of God than Judaism. All right? Who, well, I'll get to this question in just a second. Who was it written to? We, we, we said that it's, it's all about Jesus being, a better or, being better or more superior than Judaism. Who was it written to? It was written to Jewish Christians. This was not written to non-Christian Jews. 
Very important to understand that because we don't necessarily get that from the scripture. We don't necessarily get that from reading the book of Hebrews. History tells us who it was written to. It was written to Jewish Christians who were living in Jerusalem. It was written in the mid-60s A.D., back in the 60s, you know, and, (laughs) you know, the Beach Boys and all that. Um, It was written to Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem, living under persecution. In the mid-60s, they estimate that it was most likely, most probably written sometime at the end of 63 A.D., beginning of 64 A.D., Now, you'll remember, if you're a student of history, that in 70 AD, the Romans swept through Jerusalem and destroyed their temple. So Jesus grew up living in the temple. You hear the temple talked about a lot in the Gospels. Well, that was the center. That was the hub of Jewish life. If you know something about the nation of Israel, they don't separate church and life and church and state. They don't make any distinction. You know, Judaism is the center. It's the hub that all the spokes of their wheels come off of. Does that make sense? Judaism was the hub for them. And this was the center of the center of the hub was the temple. And in 70 AD, the Romans came through and destroyed the temple and destroyed it and burned it flat to the ground. And everything that the Jews knew, all of their relics, all of their history, everything was tied to this temple building. And in 70 AD, it was, it was destroyed. So God, I believe, one of the reasons that the book of Hebrews was written to who it was written to and when it was written, one of those reasons is because God knew that the desecration of the temple was just a couple years away. And so what he's doing by writing this book the way that he did is he's helping to disconnect the Jewish people, the Jewish believers from Judaism and connect them to Christ. He makes the argument that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the tabernacle. Jesus is better than the the tablets of stone where the law was written. Jesus is better than the sacrifices and the priesthood and the feasts and all these different, uh, you know, tenets of the Jewish faith. Jesus is better than all of them. Because why? Because reality is all of them actually point to Jesus, right? All the feasts, all the, I mean, you, you remember Passover, what did they do on Passover? If you're, a, if you're a good Jew, what do you do on Passover? You and your family, you get yourself a lamb. And you, you cook that lamb and you eat that lamb and you, you kill that lamb. And that lamb represents all your sin for the whole year. Phew, excuse me. That lamb represents all your sin. And you would actually, on the day of atonement, the, the, the father of the family would go and lay his hand on that animal's head and pass all of his sin and the sin of his entire family onto that lamb. They would take it into the priest and the priest would kill it and scatter the blood of that animal on what was called the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. This is, what is all of this? This is just a picture, a type. This is a type of Christ. You know, I, I remember hearing a story of an Italian woman back during World War I. I don't know who she was, 
But she lived somewhere in the northern part of Italy in the mountains. And she had a, her and her husband were wealthy. They had a nice estate and they had a villa. And in the center of their villa, doesn't it sound beautiful? They had probably some nice fig trees and praise God, it would be wonderful to be there. Um, In the middle of this villa is a big courtyard where the sun comes in. And her husband had to go to war in World War I and she did not want him to leave because he was gonna have to leave her alone. And so before he got called off to war, the day that he's to leave, she says, come with me and let's go into the courtyard. And she takes him into the courtyard where the sun is shining down and the, she, she has him stand in such a way that the sun shines down on him and casts his shadow onto the wall of the courtyard. And she went and took some paint or some chalk or something and she traced the outline of his shadow on the wall and he went off to war. And every day, she would come out and talk to the shadow and kiss the shadow and say, oh, I can't wait for you to return. She would pray for her husband. She would act as though he was there. And then one day came when the war was over and the husband returned. How many of you know that in that moment, you don't need the shadow anymore? When the husband came home, she stopped going to the courtyard. She stopped going to talk to the shadow. She didn't have to deal with the shadow anymore because the real had arrived. The real thing, the genuine article, was home. Jesus is the genuine article. Everything in Judaism is the shadow. It was useful when it was needed. It was useful for the time to which it was given. It was helpful for the Jews to understand these pictures and these types, but once Jesus showed up, we don't need the shadow anymore. We got the real thing. Amen. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, guys. Jesus is better. The real thing is better than the shadow. Amen. So we said this is what this book is about. It's about Jesus being better. better. It was written to Jewish Christians who were living in Jerusalem, written in mid-60s AD, prior to the destruction of the temple. And we said that it was written to or for the purpose of disconnecting Christian Jews from the tenets of Judaism and connect them to Christ by expressing the superiority of Jesus and expressing the superiority of the new covenant. Additionally, these Jews were under extreme persecution, both by the Romans and by other non-Christian Jews. Y'all stick with me, okay? We're going to get through this history, and then we'll get to the scripture. These Jews, these Christian Jews, were under extreme persecution from other Jews and from the Roman government. There was intense pressure on them to revert back to Judaism, They actually, I was reading one writer who said, they actually were getting to the point where they were starting to doubt whether or not putting trust in Jesus was a good idea. Can you imagine being a first century Jew and what that must have been like? Here Jesus is crucified in your country, in your, I mean, sometimes we think of the Bible as just this distant, you know, Cinderella story, this fairy tale, but this really happened to real people like you and me. Can you imagine being one of those Jews and you put your trust, you put your faith in Jesus and now all hell's breaking loose and you're getting all this 
flack and this persecution from your cousins who didn't decide to believe in Jesus but still practice the Jewish faith? Why weren't you at synagogue on Saturday, John? Hey, where were you? We missed you at the Passover. You didn't spin the dreidel with us, bro. What's going on? You didn't light the candles with us at Hanukkah. What's happening, man? Where you been? What do you mean you found the Messiah? You didn't find the Messiah. No, Moses' law doesn't say anything about the Messiah showing up now. What's the deal? Jesus? That's who you believe? Jesus? He, didn't he die? I haven't seen him in a while. What's the deal, buddy? Why, how, how come you're not coming to, to synagogue every, day, every week? How come you're not coming and hanging out with us and doing all the Jew things we like to do? <laughs> this is not meant to be a cut down or anything. What's the deal? You see, they began to get really intense persecution. See, I'm sure it started like that, you know, like a conversation around the dinner table, and it pretty, pretty quickly got intense. What do you mean you're abandoning our faith? What do you mean you don't need to do this anymore? What do you mean you saw a person who resurrected from the dead? You're crazy. You're ridiculous. See, these, these folks were getting hostile and they're getting to the place where they began to question their faith. Is, was Jesus really, did we make a mistake? Did we believe in the wrong Messiah? Because think about the implication of that. If they had abandoned their faith wrongly, they're not going to make it to heaven. You, you understand that the laws of Judaism were so strict that for them to have abandoned their faith, they become an infidel in their religion. They're not gonna, they're gonna miss heaven now. So there's this intense pressure to revert back to Judaism and the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 don't do that. Whatever you're gonna lose by letting go of Judaism, you're, you, what you're gonna gain by holding to Christ is far greater. He's far more superior than the priesthood. He's way better than the Ark of the Covenant. He is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was a picture of who he is. The tabernacle, the temple, oh, it was great. But let me tell you, that veil was torn because what that represents is who he is. Amen? It's glorious. Now, now this book, what, what, what does this mean for us? I don't know, anybody in here Jewish? No, okay? What does this mean for us who are Gentiles 2,000 years later? For us, this book serves as a strong reminder of the value of our Christian experience, or excuse me, a strong reminder that the value of our Christian experience is Jesus himself. Amen. The most valuable part about you being saved is Jesus Amen. The most valuable thing in your Christian experience is not hearing a great sermon. It's not being in a great worship service or having a wonderful small group or having a great sense of community. Right? I mean, all that stuff's great and it's necessary, but the most valuable part of your and my Christian experience is Jesus himself. Do you know that every morning when you wake up, you have the opportunity to talk with Jesus? You get to converse with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords anytime you want. The real value of this book, the real value of our Christian experience is Christ Jesus himself. 
That's why Paul makes the kinds of statements that he makes in his epistles. He says, no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul very much understood the value of Christianity is Jesus. And this book is all about reminding us of how important Jesus himself is. So it's a strong reminder that the value of our Christian experience is Jesus himself. And it safeguards us from the peril of legalism. Hebrews safeguards us from the peril, the destruction, the danger of legalism. Now we're gonna see this as we get into it. Now we read Hebrews 11. How many of you are already excited? Isn't this juicy stuff? I mean, I'm telling you, this is great. Hebrews 1, excuse me, we read verses 1 through 4. Let's talk about them a little bit. Oh, 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 oh. I gotta, I gotta answer one more thing. Who wrote this book? Before we jump into the scriptures again, who, who wrote this book? Well, nobody knows. Because as we read in the very first verse, the writer jumps right into his message or her message. They jump right into the message. They don't say, hey, it's me, Paul. Hey, it's me, Apollos. Hey, it's me, Priscilla. Hey, it's me, this one or this one or that one. Now, there are lots of theories as to who wrote this book, but like one guy said, and I steal this because it's so good, he said, one thing we can be sure about is that we can't be sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. We can be certain that we're not certain. Some say it was Paul, some say it was Priscilla. Others say that it was Barnabas. Others say that perhaps it was Luke or even Apollos. Let me give you my official position on it. It doesn't matter, okay? I'll give you my, listen, we get in the weeds about dumb stuff like this. Well, I think it was Paul. Well, I think it was Apollos. Yes, but don't you understand, brother, that it could have been Priscilla. It could have been this one. It could have been that one. And we start to waste time digging through the scripture to prove who we think wrote the book. If God didn't put it in there, you don't need to know. Right? If the Spirit of God didn't include the author of the book of Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, it's because we don't really need to know because it really doesn't matter. Spend your time mastering the book, and when you get to heaven, ask Jesus. Okay? If it was Paul, great. If it was Apollos, great. It's still the meatiest book in the Bible. Dig into that. Amen. I personally believe that we don't know who the author is because the book is all about Jesus. It's all about the superiority of Jesus. And I believe that's one of the reasons why who the author is is not included because it doesn't matter. We don't want to know is this Paul's doctrine or is it Peter's doctrine or is it James's doctrine or Luke's or Apollos's doctrine. I don't want to know who that, who, who, whose doctrine it is. It's Jesus. He's perfect doctrine. Amen. He's the expression of perfect doctrine. So I think the Holy Spirit hid this to, uh, to keep us from getting distracted. Okay? All right. Now, let's talk about these scriptures. We've got 15 minutes or so left. Oh, my gosh. This is so tough. Verse 1. Verse 1 jumps right into a discussion on this book. And, again, there's no authorship indicated here, but let's read verse one. 
God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Stop. It's a mouthful. God who at various times and in various ways, if you read in King James, it will say in sundry times, which I think is just great, sound like a pirate. God who in, in, in sundry times and in various ways spoke in the past to our fathers by the prophets. What's he saying? He's saying that in Israel's history, God was revealed in a number of different ways at a number of different times to the patriarchs, to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Now, what's interesting here is the language that's used. Various times and various ways. You could say it this way. In many portions and in many ways. In many portions and in many ways. Many portions relates to the different times that God revealed himself to different members or characters of the Old Testament. God revealed himself to Abraham several times. He showed up and said, hey Abraham, I'm God. Y'all remember, you can go read in Genesis chapter 12 and again in Genesis chapter 17, God shows up and he just announces his, his arrival. I am the Lord God. Walk before me and be blameless, he says. That was one of these various ways. That was one of these various times or many portions. God showed up to Abraham. He showed up to Isaac and he began to speak to Isaac about himself. He showed up to Jacob and he began to show himself to Jacob. And he did it over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. He showed up to Joshua, he showed up to Caleb, he showed up to Daniel. He showed up to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that? Here they are in a furnace. I don't know what kind of hell you went through this week, but I don't think you made it through a furnace. He showed up in a furnace. What is that? That's a revealing of who he is to someone. So he showed up in many portions and in many ways, it says, various ways. What were the different ways? Well, they, were, they could have been considered the ways that he appeared, but I believe this is referencing the, the attributes of himself that he, create, that he revealed when he showed up. There, all through the Old Testament, you can find all the different names of God. Like to Abraham, he revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. We call him my provider. And then in another case, he showed up to Moses and revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, who's our healer. When he showed up to Abraham in Genesis 17, he showed up as Adonai, which is the supreme Lord. Uh, in the very beginning, he showed up as Elohim, which is the supreme creator. It's the creative name of God. All through the Old Testament, you can find all the ways that God revealed himself. He's the healer. He's the provider. He's the, you know, the, the banner of victory. He's our refuge. He's our strong tower. He's this. He's that. He's this. He's that. He's the way maker. He's our victory. He's Jehovah Nisi, the prince of peace. And so all throughout all of Israel's history, he shows up a bunch of times to a bunch of different people, showing off a bunch of different character traits of who he is. But the writer of Hebrews makes the argument that as good as that was, he did it one more time. 
One final time he showed up and announced who he is, and that was when Jesus showed up. You see, Jesus is the final revealing of the character of God. Jesus is the amen of God. Glory to God. He's, when he came, listen, you didn't want the Passover lamb anymore. You saw the real Passover lamb. John is out in the wilderness baptizing people, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What was happening? Jesus was showing up on the scene, and God, for one final time, was revealing his nature. Man. Read it again. God, who at various times, many portions and in many ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, verse two, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. There's a finality about Jesus. There's a finality about Jesus. You, you can read about it, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but in verse three, he talks about how he by himself purged our sins. Jesus didn't need help, right? He didn't need no help. He, by himself, went to the cross, took the sins of the entire created universe. All, all sin from all people for all of time on him in a moment, and he, by himself, took it to the cross, did the deed, resurrected himself from the grave, and sat down at God's right hand. There's a finality about this. There's a, there's a conclusiveness about that. There. there is nothing that needs to be added to what Jesus did. <laughs> there's nothing that you can or should ever try to do to enhance what Jesus has already done on your behalf. There's a finality to it. it I love how he's described, man. In these last days, God spoke to us one more time by his son. You gotta understand, this is, why the, this is why the Jews of his day had such a hard time embracing Jesus. Because every time God showed up in their history, he showed up in a spectacular way, right? Moses is at the door of the Red Sea, an impassable fortress of water in front of him, all of Pharaoh's army bearing down behind him and is starting to storm. You want to talk about a rock and a hard place. Did you know that that's where the phrase rock and a hard place actually comes from? If you go read the Hebrew, it talks about Pharaoh being a hard place and the Red Sea being a rock. That's where that phrase comes from. A little tidbit. <clears throat> what happens? You know the story? Moses, stretch out your staff. Take what I put in your hand. He does it, the Red Sea parts. Pharaoh's army diminished in a moment. That's how God showed up in Israel's history. And then that continued, that kind of stuff continued to happen throughout the centuries. And then God decides that he's gonna show up one final time and reveal his splendor to all of creation. And what does he do? He sends a baby. He sends a baby. No wonder the Hebrews had a hard time wrapping their mind around Jesus. They expected him to ride in on a white horse like King David and start cutting off the heads of the Roman soldiers and liberate them from persecution and bondage. And what did he do? He came in the most unlikely place of all, a manger. 
He came in a stall for a horse. He came with some, with some hay and some straw and some stinky sheep poo, right? He didn't come the way they expected him to come. But nevertheless, he's God's final expression. Look at what he says, verse two and three. If you're seeing Jesus, you're seeing the full expression of the Father. This is why he says to Philip, this is why he says to Philip, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip goes to him in John chapter 18, he says, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus said, well, 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 Philip, you haven't been paying attention. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip, you're looking for another Jehovah Jireh moment, but I'm here to tell you, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the healer. I am the deliverer. I am the Lamb of God. I'm all these things and more. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the full expression of the Father. This teaches us two things immediately. Two things immediately that we can learn from this. Number one, Jesus is the point. Okay? Jesus is the main thing. You know, we talk about stick to the point. What's the point? Keep the main thing. What's the point? Jesus is the point. Amen? Can I get a better amen than that? Jesus is the point, okay? He is the point. Number two thing that we can learn immediately from these first two scriptures is that whatever was revealed in the old covenant is a shadow or a type of what was to come in the person of Jesus. See, this will help you because it will teach you not to despise the Old Testament. We get very frustrated with the Old Testament because we read the New Testament and we go, man, this is so good. We read about Jesus. But did you know you can learn about Jesus by studying the tabernacle in Leviticus? You need to, man. You need to enjoy your Old Testament. It's there for your, it's there for your benefit. Now, what I think about, oh, man, I'm almost out of time. I just looked at the clock. What, what is so amazing to me about this passage is how much it mirrors John chapter 1. You ever read John 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and everything that was created was created through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. We beheld his glory, he says in verse 14. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness, we have all received. You need to put that in your message. Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. See, that passage and this passage mirror each other so beautifully. Jesus, in verse 2 here, is the heir of all things. Everything is made through him. He's the heir of all things. He inherited everything. Think about that for a second. Jesus inherited the universe. He did. And everything in it. How did he do it? By himself purging our sins, sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus inherited everything that Adam lost. 
Adam, when he was created, was made in the image of God and he was put in this beautiful garden and it was his job to be the boss of the earth. It was Adam's job to be, you know, the general manager of planet earth, right? And he screwed that up. We know, you've read the story. He messed that up. Well, Jesus didn't mess it up. He by himself took all of, all of Adam's mess up, all of his screw up, and he fixed it all by himself. And in doing so, he earned back the right to inherit everything. He became the heir of everything. And he made the earth. All things were created through Jesus. Now, <clears throat> verse 3 says this, describing Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. I, I wish I just had more time to just dig into all of this. Can, can you go like five more minutes? Yeah, you give me five more minutes? Okay. The express image of his person and the brightness of his glory. The word brightness is the Greek word which means reflected glory. I found this to be incredibly interesting. Jesus is the reflected glory of God. Think about that for a second. I wrote this in my notes. Jesus perfectly radiates and reflects the glory and majesty of God. Wow. You know, when he came to earth, he didn't come. He, he never, almost never called himself the son of God. He called himself the son of man so that he could perfectly reflect the glory of God. He didn't want to come and identify as Jesus, the God-man. He was. He was the Son of God. Every time people asked him, are you the Messiah? If they really pushed on him in the gospel, he'd say, yes, but don't say anything. I, I don't want glory for myself. I mean, the only person who actually deserved it made a point of not getting glory to himself. He constantly reflected the glory of God. He was constantly a reverberation of the glory of God. That's what it means when it says he's the brightness of God's image. God shined on Jesus, and Jesus reflected that to the world. Think about, think about if you had a flashlight and a mirror and you shined the light into the mirror, what would happen? It would bounce off the mirror and shine somewhere else. That's what this word means in the Greek. He's the brightness of God's glory. He perfectly reflects the glory of God. And it says he's the express, the express image. The word in the Greek means the exact expression. Hence, Jesus says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not, Philip, if you've seen me, it's as good as seeing the Father. Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I and my Father are one. This is an intense revelation. You know what the word there for exact or express image is? It's the word in Greek, charakter. Charakter. You know what English word we get from that? Character. 
character comes from that word. What do we say when a person has good character? They represent well. (laughs) Oh, I hope you're getting this because I'm getting fired up. (laughs) They represent something well. If a person has good character, means that they are a good example of what character is supposed to look like. Oh, they pay their taxes. They're always on time. They're, you know, they're nice to their husband. They're nice to their wife. They have good character. Jesus perfectly expressed the character of God. So much so that when you look at him, you're looking at God. You're looking at the Father. This is, this is how the writer of Hebrews kicks the book off. This is his intro let me, let me save the heavy stuff for later. Let me just drop a little nugget on you. Jesus perfectly expresses the character of God. I wrote this in my notes. Jesus is God's big reveal. My sister was having her house made over some years ago, and they had to leave the house. They had a professional design team, and people come in and, and redo their house. And they had to leave the house for like four or five days and come back for a big reveal. It's like HGTV stuff, you know. (laughs) They had to come back for the big reveal. Jesus is God's big reveal. Jesus is the one that God said, hold on, let me pull the cover back and show you what it's really all about. If you want to know what God was up to, It was to reveal Jesus. God's plan from before the foundation of the world was to reveal Jesus. Think about that for a second. I know I'm going longer. Can you just hang with me for one more second? I mean, listen, think about this. When God decided to create the planets, when he decided to create light, when he decided to create the stars and the earth, and when he took all those seven days and spoke all the animals and everything, and when he decided to make Adam in his image and in his likeness, the whole reason he was doing all of that was to reveal Jesus. The whole purpose was so that time would go by and when the right time came, like Galatians says, in the fullness of time, at the right moment in God's master planned drama called human history, at just the right moment, he would finally be able to pull the cover back and say, this is why I did it all, to show you Jesus. That's why He's better than the angels. That's why he's better than than the, the, the sheep and the lambs. And that's why he's better than the tabernacle. That's why he's better than the Ark of the Covenant. That's why he's better than the priesthood. That's why he's better than Moses. That's why he's better than Abraham. He's better than all of that Judaic history. He's better than all of it. And he was given to you. You have what Abraham dreamed of. You have what Joshua and Caleb could only vaguely glimpse. We live in the full reality of Jesus already having been revealed. Glory to God. That's what this book's about. That's what we're gonna study this summer. When we get done, you're gonna be so stinking in love with Jesus 
you're not going to want to know about anything else. Amen? Why do you think Paul says, oh, I could go forever. Why do you think Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Why? Because he understood how much better Jesus was than angels and how much better he was than Moses in the tabernacle. He realized this is what God's all about, was to pull the cover back and show you Jesus. It was worth it. For God to see everything unfold the way that it did. It was worth it. That's what the Bible says. It pleased him to bruise Jesus. It pleased God to send Jesus to the cross. Because when Jesus was going to the cross, God was, God was having Passover. When Jesus was going to the cross, the, the heavenly father himself was having the real Passover. And he said, Moses and all this stuff, it's just a picture, it's just a shadow, it's just a shadow, don't worry, the real's coming. And that, that's why, that's why the stone blew off the lid of the tomb. That's why after three days, Jesus rose in triumph, because he's better, he's better. He's better. Nothing that we can do can measure up to how good he already is. <laughs> the very best that you can muster, the very best that I can come up with, doesn't compare to how good he is. He's God's big reveal. He's the period at the end of the sentence, and he's the whole sentence. <laughs> Glory to God. He's better than it all. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.